This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Hello and welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Hockey Podcast. I am Andrew Laird, head of daily fantasy content for Rotowire. Apologies for those who are expecting to hear your regular podcast hosts, Paul Bruno and AJ Schultz. But we're taking over very briefly to uh, dive into some daily fantasy hockey. Joining me is somebody I'm very excited to be talking to um, because of his expertise specifically with daily fantasy hockey. It is the 2018 Fantasy Sports Writers Association Hockey Writer of the Year. Russ Prentice. Russ, thank you very much for coming on. How's it going? Uh, great. Thanks for having me on, Andrew. I have to say that the uh, when you started writing for Rotowire last year, uh, I had some multiple people like contact me uh, and were saying that they, the way that they look at daily fantasy hockey and how they've been playing completely changed based off of your articles. And uh, I think one of the things that we were lacking was just a lot of uh, strategies that, uh, like slate specific strategies that not a lot of people are considering, uh, and you kind of like opened it up. And so, um, whether you know it or not, you've had quite an impact on, on a lot of people already and hoping to, uh, to extend that with this podcast, which is really kind of just a primer for those who are either very big into season long fantasy hockey and kind of want to get into daily fantasy or those who have dipped their toe in daily and want to take a little more seriously. So, um, we're going to lean on you significantly in this podcast, Russ. So, um, bring it on. Uh, so if I remember correctly, you primarily, or you, you tend to play more on FanDuel than you do DraftKings, but you do do both, correct? Yeah, I do do both. Uh, I don't know. Probably, probably two or three to one. I play on FanDuel, I would say, but, uh, I always, I always enter something every night on DraftKings. And you, is it more just because you like the scoring system better, or is it you had more money there when you started playing hockey? Or uh, probably probably more the money thing. At yeah. first. Uh, uh, um, the scoring systems used to be fairly similar. Uh, there's been a huge change this year on DraftKings, but uh, we can get into that a little later. Um, honestly, last year it was. I mean, they were very almost exactly the same. There was yeah. a little heavier weight towards shots and. and blocks on draft kings but this year it's been totally thrown up in the air so yeah it seems like um 
DraftKings is going more for the uh, home run stat, or I'm sorry, FanDuel goes more for the home run stats. Yes. Um, yeah, they, they they weight the goals and assists a lot more compared to the shots and blocks, whereas DraftKings has brought them way back down to where the shots and blocks are almost the key thing to get, and the goals and assists are just kind of the bonuses. Right, right. I, I have always been more of somebody who builds lineups for cash games. Like I, I look at try to trying to build like an optimal lineup. So it seems like the DraftKings peripheral stats would go more in my in my favor. Although I have more of a in terms of daily fantasy, a soccer background where goals are just so rare. Where yeah. um, you, you get a lot more of them in hockey. But um, when you go in. Um, to either site, like are are goals still kind of what you're thinking of first? Yeah, of course. I mean, that's still where the majority of the points are, but uh, uh, the good thing I think about it on uh, that, that has come into play on DraftKings is now if you aren't getting a goal every night from your, your guy that you're playing, you could still get into the cash zone with, if he's still putting three to five shots on goal or, racking up a couple of blocks whereas on FanDuel if you're not getting those those goals I mean you're pretty much dead in the water right and you find that's pretty much the case with with like GPPs and cash games uh, definitely GPPs cash yeah. games you can you can survive cash games especially double ups uh, um, without getting goals pretty much across the board but uh, in, in a GPP if you're planning to go deep in a large GPP you're going to have to have a lot of the goals hmm. No, for that evening on your yeah, at least for the guys on your roster. Right, we're taping this on uh, opening night of the 2019-20 season. We were talking just before. I have a few lineups in, and not nearly enough goals already. So, <laughs> um, hopefully, we'll uh, we'll change that around. Well, it was kind of a weird first game. If you uh, if you didn't have Austin Matthews, you're probably not doing well already tonight. But uh, besides that, most of the other goals were from nobodies other than Brady Kachuk on the. Yeah, Ottawa. The uh, the Austin Matthews fade felt really good for the first period, and then it, then I learned very quickly that what happens <laughs> when you fade him. Um, Toronto can score in bunches. Sheesh, man. Uh, so <laughs> we, you also wrote two articles recently um, that go um, into you know how to play on Fanduel and how to play on DraftKings. This will be kind of an an expansion on that, but uh, DraftKings did just uh, kind of change their scoring system, which. Uh, is almost more in line with taking away the value or at least the importance of goals and assists. Do you want to just break down kind of who, what kind of guys these benefit, this benefits and whether we really shouldn't be looking at goals as much? Uh, I don't think that's really necessarily the case. I mean, you're still trying to get goals. I sure. mean, there's not many guys where, where they're going to score on low number of shots. I mean, you still want the guys that are peppering the net every night and, this just makes them that much better on nights where they don't score. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, uh, typically, I mean, the high volume shooters, I mean, everybody knows it's like Nate McKinnon, Patrick Kane, Alex Ovechkin. I mean, those guys are going to throw, throw four or five shots on goal almost every night anyways. So, uh, now DraftKings has put in this bonus for five or more shots. And it's like, you can, if you have five shots and don't even score a goal, you've got 10 and a half points, which is, uh, it's 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 a pretty good number for yeah. DraftKings night as it, and then you still get chances at the goals and assists and blocks too. So it's like five shots is a it's a, it's a huge start for a guy. I mean, and Nate McKinnon averaged four shots a game. I mean, he's getting to five every other night or two, mm-hmm. or every other night or three. So 
Um, basically, I mean, I, I would put more weight in those guys that are the huge shot shot makers rather than some of the lower end guys where they might only get two shots a night, but, but you're going, you're hoping for a hail Mary goal. I would, I would tend to almost go more stars and scrubs now with their, their format. Whereas before their format was, it kind of benefited going more mid range. Yeah. Um, it does feel I, like, I you're, now, sorry, I, no. it does feel like no, the, it's almost benefiting the better players as it is. Yeah. And so it, it almost made a more and more, it kind of, almost opposite of what I think they should be doing, where it's kind <laughs> right. of bringing it more, more, more balanced. They kind of, they kind of spread it out where it's now like the top end guys are that much better. Uh, their, their salary structure was very, very much more difficult than FanDuel's already to begin with. Yeah. Um, I guess this makes it more and more reasonable than to pay up for some of those big guys. So maybe, maybe, maybe it was warranted uh, based on their salary structure. I mean, last year I, I, I tended to focus on the guys in the, the five to six thousand dollar range, rather than paying up for an eight thousand dollar guy. But now those eight thousand dollar guys might be worth it more. Right. Yeah. Maybe that. Yeah. That's a good. It's a nice observation there. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about contest selection, which is something that not a ton of people uh, think about. Um, we noticed that with uh, the football podcast that we did, that all of a sudden it's like, well, should I be playing as many GPPs as I do? And Obviously, how you play daily, how anybody plays daily fantasy is kind of a very personal decision and everybody's uh, financial situation is different. So there are some people who are more than willing to waste a bunch of money on some uh, GPPs every night just to try to hit one because they find that to be fun and a nice um, experience for them. Others kind of like to grind the cash games. So uh, how do you generally look at a slate and where do you think that people who are just starting should, should jump in? Uh, my favorite, uh, my favorite versions of the games are actually on a fan deal. They're called leagues, which not a lot of people play. Um, I, I really like the hundred person leagues. Uh, they're really kind of unique. Um, they're kind of like mini GPPs, but they don't, they don't actually have a guaranteed price pool. They have to fill or they, they just cancel, which is frustrating on cer- certain nights where you've, you've you've set up multiple lineups and then all of a sudden one of your lineups is gone and yeah. more often than not that ends up being the one that would have done better <laughs> but um they're kind of they're they're they fit my 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 game style pretty well because i can enter a couple different ones couple i mean I, i'm not a huge volume player like some some people out there mm-hmm. i mean i any given night i might have three to ten teams across the different sites I'm, i don't go i'm not 150 multi multi-entry person by all by any means some mm-hmm. nights i'll uh, when there's a big big slate and a, and a big tournament out there i might have i might have 20 teams or something like that but the, i'm mostly smaller entry gpps or those leagues um but the 100 person leagues are really neat because they they pay out the top 12 which is a little tighter payout structure than most of the gpps which pay out closer to 20 25 percent but the payouts are higher once you get into that payout zone right away, uh, most of them they they pay out three three time three x for the first payout levels and first place is twenty five x. So I mean, for five bucks in a hundred person league, all you got to do is be ninety nine people and you win one hundred and twenty five dollars. Yeah. I mean, in a GPP, a five dollar GPP to win to win one hundred and twenty five dollars, you got to finish in the top like point one percent probably. <laughs> and this one, you only got to be in the one percent. So it, I, I just find them. I find them more 
forgiving. Uh, you don't have to have that absolute home run roster to make a pretty good night. Um, the you're not going to run into somebody putting in 50 lineups where they've got every single every single big guy and, and some random cheap guys. I mean, the people in these 100-person leagues are usually playing pretty solid middle-of-the-road rosters, which mm-hmm. I like to do too, so it's it's kind of fits my my game structure well. Um, that's not to say I don't play GPPs. I, I probably play too many, and, and, <laughs> and that's they, that's a drain on the bankroll, but I, I try to... I try to whatever I win in the hundred people, I use those as kind of GPP burn, and sure. then uh, hopefully, if I hit a big one in the GPP, that's where my profit comes from. But uh, if you're if you're more risk averse, the fifty fifties or double ups or even the triple ups or quintuple ups are kind of fun, and uh, they're good little bankroll builders. I'm not as patient for those. Uh, <laughs> I do them every I do them every once in a while, but. Uh, I don't know. Mike Epity is more of the middle, middle of the road size leagues where you can actually win a decent prize, but don't have to go nuts to win the big prizes. So I'll give you some context on the, on a big GPP. And uh, for those listening, there is a uh, 20,000 guaranteed tournament on DraftKings tonight. It's a $3 entry. Uh, first place is 5,000. Uh, n- ninth place is $75. That's uh, ridiculous. I, so- <laughs> It's just ridiculous. I, those payout structures are terrible on there. That's why I, don't, I, I think I have a team in that in that that one. But mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a lottery. I mean, you're going. You're you, there's there's going to be like three big winners. I mean, seventy five bucks, and that is, it's not a life changing win, right. and you're finishing ninth out of a couple thousand people. So. Yeah, you have to beat um, uh, I, yeah seven thousand nine hundred and eighteen people to win to turn three dollars well, into seventy five. That's a twenty-five times payout, and you got to finish ninth out of seventy-nine hundred. Yeah. You said. Yep. To make to make to make twenty-five x, all I got to do is finish first out of a hundred people. Right. <laughs> I'll be honest. I oh. don't think I've ever played these leagues, and now it seems so much more reasonable than trying yeah. to beat out seven thousand people. Not even seven. The seventy-nine hundred. <laughs> oh my god. You don't. You, there isn't that five thousand dollar carry sure. out there, but. Hey, just keep banking those 125s and your bankroll is going to start to look good. Yeah. Yeah. How about so. that? Um, so do you tend to play the same lineup in those types of contests? Like I know people play like cash games. They tend to play one lineup or they maybe spread around a, a few, but do you end up playing a number of different ones in these different leagues? I'm, I'm very familiar with the strategy for cash games where you you shouldn't be stacking your line, your lines mm-hmm. all that much, but uh, I tend to not play cash games per se and the double ups all that much. I, I, I like stacking lines. I mean, I figure, I figure if uh, the center scores on one team, I like to have his winger for a good chance of an assist. So yep. um, I understand, I understand the reasoning behind spreading it around for the 50 fifties and double ups. Cause all you're looking to do is kind of chip away and get to that, 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 that pay line, but I'm more of looking to finish in the top 10, 5%. So sure. I, I, I tend, I tend to stack more than, than I would in any kind of double up. But, uh, um, if you are one that likes to play in those double ups, you probably should only be limiting your team to one or two players, uh, on any given team. Mm-hmm. Uh, just so you're kind of limiting your downside there. You don't want to be on, you don't want to have, four guys on a team where 
they score one goal or get shut out, and then you're just pretty much your night's over. If you if you got one guy on the team that gets shut out, you can still make it into that top half to get your double up. Right. So um, that's kind of the the theory behind spreading it around in the cash games. Um, that that's I mean you can you can still go with two guys on a team. I don't think that's a huge deal, but I, I would I would tend to not go three or more at any given time on a in a cash game format. And the two would be on the same line. I would I would say that that or maybe a power play correlated yep. defenseman, uh, some some along that line. The, the... So you're still getting the correlation. Ideally. Yeah, you still got a chance. You still got a chance at it. Yeah, you yeah. still got a chance at getting a goal and assist on the same same score. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so let's go into that lineup building a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. You uh, wrote a, a section in each of your uh, how to play articles on RotoWire about uh, goaltenders. And that they really shouldn't be, uh, or the win or projected win really shouldn't be overemphasized in your research process. So to the point, do you start with goaltender or do you start with your skaters and work from there? I typically go back and forth. I start with my top forward line usually. Mm-hmm. Um, like as of tonight, like most of my teams, I started with the, John Tavares line for Toronto, which ended up being the wrong one. The Austin Matthews line was the better scorer, but uh, the Tavares and Marner got an assist each, so it wasn't too bad. Mm-hmm. But uh, I start with my top four line typically, and um, I look to see if there's a defenseman that goes well with them, or or um, even a, a fourth forward, which is not something you should always do, but it's definitely in consideration, especially for a team like Toronto if you can afford it. But uh, I typically go for that first big forward line. Then I look for a goalie. If that forward line's very expensive, I'm looking for a kind of a mid to cheap price goalie. But I leave the goalie spot kind of in flex. I, I, I have no problem changing my goalie if I if I have a couple different options going up or down, depending on what the second forward line or defenseman I want to put in there. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a juggling. It's kind of a juggling act. I I typically lock in that big first line and then I work from there and and and. Uh, I don't usually, there's not many nights where it's like there's only one goaltender I'm considering. I, right. There are nights that that happens on shorter slates, but um, even tonight, a lot, I mean, a lot of people were on Frederick Anderson. I think he was 40% owned in one of my leagues, but uh, I was actually on, I have, I have more more coverage of Jacob Markstrom on Vancouver tonight. I just, I'm not a big fan of Edmonton. They've, I mean, they've got two really good players, but besides those two guys, they're they're kind of a dumpster fire. So um, I, I look for different options, different price points where, where you can find a couple different choices for goalies. So that when you're working on your forwards, if you need, if you need a couple hundred bucks uh, for a forward or a defenseman, then I can go down a goalie or I can go up a goalie if I have money left over. That's kind of the, the I'm always looking, I'm only using the goalie kind of as a swing spot. Right. Yeah. It seems like the goalie, in hockey is very similar to the goalie in soccer and very similar to like a defense special teams in, in football where um, the variance is just so high. And we kind of joke, I joked about this on both the soccer and the football podcast, but like um, goalie is the most important position for like a big GPP win. Like you can't have a big, GPP score without a high scoring goalie, but it's also the hardest position to project. And the variance is so high that you can put all the time you want into researching goalies and trying to figure out the right one. But 
it's still the hardest one to get right, but you also have to get it right. Is that, does that yeah. seem along these lines? Well, there's, there's getting it right and getting destroyed in hockey. Um, <laughs> right. There, I, I, there was a uh, game, I think it was two years ago, uh, where Carey Price was injured or, or sitting out for Montreal, and uh, their backup, I think it was Al Montoya, started. And uh, he gave up 10 goals. And that was not very good. Uh, uh, I think I ended up having a negative 24 or something Oof. out of him. Uh, yeah, so you, I mean, that team's pretty much done. You know, it, <laughs> it doesn't matter what the rest of your skaters do. Right. <laughs> you start, you're starting at a 24-point hole from your goalie. It's just pretty much done. So I, 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 I advocated looking at, at goalies who are going to face a lot of shots and get a lot of saves. But that doesn't mean that you can't get burned when yeah. you do that. Um, just for example, I, I, I made the point in, in the article where where the winds are very fluky at times. Um, I mean, tonight, tonight, uh, Toronto beat Ottawa 5-3 was the final. So Craig Anderson probably wasn't in a great spot there. But if you ignore the win points that Frederick Anderson got for Toronto – Craig Anderson actually outscored Frederick Anderson tonight because uh, he faced 42 shots, right. even though he gave up five goals. Frederick Anderson only faced 26 shots and gave up three goals. Uh, I think, uh, was that four? Yeah, so uh, uh, Anderson actually, uh, Craig Anderson actually outscored Frederick by uh, 3.2 points yeah. on, the, on the shots and minus goals. So I, I really think that wins are overrated. Mm-hmm. Um, I, from most most people, most people that jump into hockey for the first time are baseball players because the baseball season just ended. Yeah. And similar to pitchers, where you look at the pitcher and they're like, okay, well this pitcher is going to win today, so he's a good option. I mean, pitchers get no decisions and losses all the time, and mm-hmm. they don't get those win points. So it's very similar to goalies. Uh, the I made I made the the example of of Calgary. And in the article, and Calgary was the had the number two most amount of points last year after Tampa Bay, and they only won sixty one percent of their games. So almost forty percent of the time, their goalie did not record a win. And that that if you think about that, that's a huge number. I mean, you're you're talking about on average, your goalie's losing those win points forty four out of ten times. That's crazy. So it's not it's not you can't count on those wins. You should right. go for the go for the saves. Go for the Go for the saves and then hopefully limit the goals allowed and the let the winds fall where they may. Okay. Okay. Uh, you mentioned, I mean, the, obviously projected winds are coming from um, betting odds uh, of these games. Um, I tend to use them heavily in every other sport um, just because it gives me kind of a better idea of how the game is expected to play out at least. Uh, yeah. Expected, not exactly how it always plays out, but um how how much do those go into your own process? Quite a bit, actually. And um, more, I use them more as like a check and balance to my projections. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I know my numbers aren't perfect and nobody's numbers are perfect out there. I mean, everybody thinks their numbers are great, but uh, I kind of use the, the Vegas lines as a, like a, a hedge back to my numbers, essentially. I kind of take the average of my numbers and the Vegas numbers. Mm-hmm to get the total goals and, and the, and the, 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 basically the spreads on the games. 
uh, that's kind of where I, I go with the Vegas numbers, but they're, they're, they're a big part of my, my spreadsheet. I'm a big Excel guy. So <laughs> lots of, lots of stats, lots of numbers. And, uh, the, the betting line is one of the first things on the top left of my sheet. So. All right. That's right in my alley. So, um, <laughs> so I am not somebody who has like a significant hockey background. So if I'm looking to build my own spreadsheet here, um, what are the stats that you, that should be prioritized at least at the beginning? Uh, well, if you're starting at the basic level, I think the most important thing is ice time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of simplistic, but if you're not playing, you're not going to rack up stats. Yeah. I mean, uh, and that's very key for guys that are on like those third and fourth lines. I, if you're on the fourth line or the night, you should just cross them off the list. Okay. It shouldn't even be a consideration for you. Uh, third line guys got to have something going for them. They got to be on, I mean, they got to be super cheap or, and or on one of the two power plays and they got to have potential to, to, to mix in during the game onto the one of the first two lines. Cause that happens quite a bit. A lot of people don't really realize that that are playing hockey for the first time. And just because they're showing you the first line, the lines on one of the websites that are on road wire or whoever, whatever you're getting your, your information from, that doesn't mean that those three guys are going to stay together the entire game and yep. they come some coaches mix and match during the game and things aren't going right or or things are some guys are having a hot night they they'll play them a little more so um the guys on the third line they're gotta have they gotta have something else going going for me for me to consider them but uh first and second line guys are kind of where it's at i mean it's 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 not like any other sport where you have a you have a starting you have a starter and then everybody else is a backup and hockey everybody's on and off the ice on the fly during the whole game so those those first two lines typically will get close to 18, 20 minutes during the game. But if you're on those third third line, you're probably down in the twelve to fourteen range, and you're on that fourth line. On some teams, you could you could be getting six minutes a game, yeah. eight minutes a game. It's it's a huge discrepancy once you start moving down the list. So, ice time is a huge huge thing in my my calculations because guys move up and down game to game too. So if a guy a guy had been a fourth liner and he was averaging eight minutes a game. If he's moving up to the first or second line, I mean, he's looking, he's going to get a bump in ice time too. So his stats are probably going to come along with that. That's why one of the next things I look at is, is shots on goal, but I look at it as on a per minute rate. I look at shots per minute. Mm-hmm. So if you got one of those guys, that's getting, I don't point one shots a minute or so at, at eight minutes a game. If he moves up to 18 minutes a game, he's now going to get, that that many more shot attempts potentially so uh ice time is very important and then shots on goal on a per minute rate is is my two of my key things i look at and then when i get into the more advanced stuff uh um i don't know if you're familiar with corsi or Mm -hmm. everybody out there is listening is familiar with corsi it's essentially corsi is it's essentially shot attempts not necessarily shots on goal. It could be shots that are on goal, shots that are wide, shots that are blocked. It's the total number of shot attempts, essentially. Um, so as long as your guy is taking a shot, he gets a, he gets credit for a Corsi event. And that that means something. I mean, some guys are better, better targeted shooters than others, but hey, shots a shots a shot. Eventually, it's going to be on net, and hopefully you get something and going to go in. And then uh, going along with that, I I, I, I kind of revamped my rankings this year and, and started to include some more um, scoring chances and high danger chances into my into my rankings. Those are 
essentially coursey events where they're taken closer to the net essentially right um uh, and so that, that's uh they're saying i they basically have weighted the the scoring chances at like one and a half times and the high danger chances at two times so uh-huh. those are included in coursey already and then i've added an additional factor onto those okay. to get to get my rankings uh Back to the ice time, a yeah. quick second. At what point sure. do you start prioritizing power play time over total even strength time? Um, I don't prioritize it over, but I think it's almost a requ- requisite to to be a really good option. I mean, uh, the, and even power play two gets a little shaky because there's a lot of times where the power play two guys are only going to get like one or two shifts a game. Yeah. Um, uh, whereas the power play one guys will get five or six shifts during the game. It just m- m- most most of the power play shifts are I don't know, 40, 45 seconds. So the, the 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 top line guys get usually two shifts per power play, and they also get the first attempt to score. Right. So there's a lot of times where those second guys don't even get it get on the ice during the power play, and if they do, they're only on there for couple shot attempts if that uh, uh so power play one i think is really important power play two not as much but it's definitely a bonus um like i don't know if you haven't seen my article i i did point out the fact that the scoring rates on the power play are just astronomically so higher, higher yeah. than <laughs> higher than even strength i mean uh i think on one of them i showed nikita kucherov uh i think he was scoring two point two times as many points on the power play per minute. Mm-hmm. And uh, Patrick Kane on the other one was like 1.8 uh, or 1.9 times per minute. So every minute on the power play is, is, is huge. I mean, that that's a key thing to have. You should definitely focus on power play guys. I mean, that's a, that's a huge plus for any guy is especially if I'm on the top power play. So it probably doesn't happen often, but if there is a guy who skates on a, let's call it a top two line and is not on a power play line. Do you just throw them out? I don't think I throw them out. If you, unless you, unless he was expensive, I mean, there's not many of those, right. Not there's many not those. many cases where that happens. I've seen it before. It happens occasionally, but uh, typically if the guy's not on the power play, it means it's probably nothing good. Right. I, honestly, <laughs> if he's playing on one of the top two lines, he's probably a, some sort of defensive forward. Mm-hmm or just just guy that's out there to to protect somebody and then maybe he's a decent passer but if you have any offensive skill and you're on one of the top two lines you're probably going to be on one of the top two well, lines. right sure okay okay yeah. um let's go into stacking a little bit because yeah. i think this was something that has taken people a little while <laughs> to uh kind of accept because uh we see it in if in other sports it's incredibly popular in baseball um, there are still people who think stacking is not the ideal way to go in GPPs, but um, there's just so much evidence that stacking um, gives you the correlations that you need. And just it's one of those things that like fundamentally when you think about it, particularly in hockey where we have multiple, you, know, you can have multiple assists per goal that you could have three guys on the same line and they all get something out of a goal that they score. And so um, that's kind of the reason why stacking is so important in hockey so what are the kind of the how far do you go with the stacks when you when you start building lineups um based on like the my top line of the night i i i usually aim to get four guys in there i aim to get a whole a whole line and it's 
I like to have those guys on the same power play as well. It's not always, you can't always do that. I mean, it's not always possible to have the whole line on the same power play as well. But when that happens, it's like the bell goes off and it's like, okay, this is a good option. Yes. And I typically like to have the, uh, uh, power play defenseman along with them. Uh, cause I mean the defenseman, defenseman kind of get overlooked. Some people, some people don't, they just kind of ignore them like tight ends. Uh, there's just some people that don't like tight ends in football. There's some people that don't like catchers in baseball. And there's some people that just don't like defensemen in hockey, <laughs> but the, the good defensemen are so much better than the bad defensemen. That, yeah. that you should be, you should be willing to pay up for them if you can. And, uh, usually putting the guy that's playing on the power play with some of your forwards is a smart way to smart, smart way to go about it. it it's not a, a large group of players, but it does seem like the, the elite uh, defensemen in hockey really should be more expensive than they are, but they end up not being more expensive because they're defensemen. Um, it just seems like paying up for certain guys, you know, Brent Burns and just seems like the one who jumps out where you're like, he really should be, 25 percent more uh, he's always expensive yeah but they at some point they can't make him enough i mean right. <laughs> if you it, there there were times uh, over the last two years where he's been pushing eight thousand uh, he's actually cheaper than he has been in the past mm-hmm. right now um these are 7300 tonight but uh i i i i distinctly remember him pushing eight thousand uh, at least a couple nights when he was hot um he he's kind of a rare commodity uh the, the, he, he actually started out as a forward on the minnesota wild before he got he went over to uh he actually changed to a defenseman on the wild before he moved over to san jose but he, he's he's just a beast he does he just fills up the box score every night i mean he'll get you goals assists shots blocks everything i mean he's just he, he's such a different type of player i mean he's getting a little older now and he's slowing down a little bit plus he's got eric carlson which takes away a little bit from him but um, I mean, both of those guys, I think those are the only two guys over, yeah, those are the only two guys over 6,400 tonight. They're on the same team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of, kind of a weird dynamic there. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, those top defensemen, there's, they can be such a difference maker for you. If you, they, they have one of those big game, like 30 point games for you. Whereas other people are playing, they're, they're spending down at defense and only getting like six points or something for right. their guy. Right. Um, so do you find that you're stacking two different teams as much as you can, or do you end up doing one and then filling the rest with one-offs? I don't play a whole lot of one-offs other than like the last roster spot. Yep. I typically like to have at least a two-man stack along with the three-man stack. So, I, I mean, it, I just put it, I just think about it this way. Is it easier to hit two events or is it easier to hit six events? I mean, why, <laughs> why would you not, why would you not stack? I, mean, I, don't, I don't, I don't, I mean, yes, you, I guess at some point you are limiting your upside, but you're also, you're also maximizing your, your potential without having like to find the, the right lottery mix of six numbers. Essentially. Right. Right. Um, I mean, the, I mean, you can't obviously you could play six different guys and you might get goals from all six of them or multiple goals from all six of them. But I think I would rather take my chances to have one of my lines score for three or four points for the night. And I might get, I might get three goals and four or five assists. Yeah. So I think that I honestly think that's the way to go. Um, I don't, 
always go three and three. I like to go sometimes two and two, and then my one-off, will, maybe I'll pair him with a defenseman sometimes. So there's stuff, there's stuff along that line. I also like playing a player, at least a Warner player or more, with my goalie as well. Mm-hmm. Which is a lot of people, yeah. people don't think about that sometimes because, I mean, if your offense is doing well, it's it's a better chance for your goalies to win. I know I said not to think about the wins before, but hey, they're nice to they're nice to get when you get them. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's sort of the situation. And I feel like these are all, this is like a clear concept that once you talk it out, you're like, oh, that makes total sense. Like, of course, if if I have a high scoring line, then the goalie should be in line for the win. And, but you're not really going in thinking like, I'm going to take this goalie uh, and then let me get, let me build hit around the skaters on his team. It's kind of the opposite. Like, yeah, it's the complete opposite. Right. <laughs> so not, don't, don't do the, uh, the process backwards, I guess I'm saying. I, I'm never, I'm never going in and saying, okay, I really like this goalie for the day. Yeah. I should play four of his skaters <laughs> or three of his skaters in front of him. Fair no, enough. I, it's, it's, do I like the skaters? Yes. Then I, I should like the goalie a little more than, than general. So the, the stack is always going to start with a even strength line though. Correct. Typically, yeah, um, I'm way more often than not. Um, there are some rare teams, uh, going back to like last year's Pittsburgh Penguins team, mm-hmm. where they seem to have like their four best players on three different lines. And it was kind of fun at times to go Sidney Crosby, Gany Malkin, Phil Kessel, who were on all three different lines, mm-hmm. but they were on the top power play together. Right. So, that way you had you had the power play correlation, but then you also had exposure to all three lines. It, it's not it's not ideal because there's not likely going to be all three of their their even strength lines are going to go nuts. But if you got a goal from two of them and then got a power play goal from the other guy, you were way ahead in the game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, th- there's situations like that where you can kind of spread them out over different lines. Uh, um, I did tonight on one team with Toronto. I played both Austin Matthews and John Tavares at center, and then I paired them up with Mitch Marner and uh, and Morgan Riley, a defenseman, on one team. Uh, that, that's just I don't know. It's kind of a it's a way to differentiate yourself. From, yeah. From just everybody just doing the mass three man stacks too, which is overwhelmingly the most common strategy out there. That if you looked at if you looked at the teams out there, I would say that probably 75 percent of them have got at least one three man stack on their team. I mean, if it's the way that works, I don't know why you wouldn't uh, wouldn't keep going with it. The, yeah. um, um, I had a follow up to that. And now it's it's just left me. But um, the cash games. Spread. Uh, it was one before that, but I, we can jump into the cash games because that's usually my wheelhouse. Um, but it seems like the, we kind of talked about that already. Yeah, the concept of stacking um, just makes more sense for somebody who's like new to daily fantasy hockey. Cause like, I'm, it seems like cash games, you're now like, okay, I need, um, you know, seven floor players who can get me enough points just kind of on their own. That's not correlated to anything other than they're in my lineup. Uh, yeah. and they don't, they obviously don't know that. So, um, do you, if you're, if you're building a, a cash lineup, are you looking at specific stacks, and breaking off from that and saying, this is really the, the best guy from this stack. Like how, how am I taking my GPP lineups and turning them into cash game lineups? I, I would tend to look at 
at least start with like my favorite value play mm-hmm. in like my favorite stacks. Like uh, tonight wouldn't have worked out very well because that probably would have been Kaspari Kapanen on Toronto. <laughs> right. That he was he, he was the best value in my opinion on on Toronto today and didn't do a whole lot. He had one shot on goal and mm-hmm. it's it's it, I, I made I made the comment in the art the the initial articles about hockey is very fickle. I mean the the, the scores are all over the map. I mean, it's, it's a lot like baseball. I mean, Mike Trout might go out there one night and hit two homers and then you play him the next night and he goes over five against a terrible pitcher. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's just, it's very similar in hockey. I mean, you might play Kasparic Kapanen on playing with, with two all-stars against Otto at home and he does absolutely nothing. It just happens. Uh, you just gotta, you just gotta roll with the punches sometimes. And, and, uh, and just hope hope that the process is right and fire fire away next next game. But um, uh, that's kind of where I would start is looking at the the values and then moving on to my next value. And then once you've got a couple value plays in there, you can start going back in and looking at the more high high floor, high ceiling guys at mm-hmm. the top of the salary structure. But uh, I, I would look for my favorite value plays in the night first and lock those guys in, and then work from there. That's kind of what I would do. I, I but like I said, I don't play a whole lot of cash games, mm-hmm. so I don't I don't really build a whole lot of cash lineups. But that's what I would do if I did. Okay. Um, so, do you find that uh, the the games with the highest projected totals are always the highest owned? Always have the highest owned players. I know that sounds like a very dumb question because obviously everybody wants exposure to these high owned to to these high uh, goal games. But like, is there? It's not like the the spreads. Are this meaning the spread from the highest total game to the lowest is all that big? Um, so, like, how much weight do you put on a, a game that might have a six and a half goal total versus five and a half or five and seven? Well, I think it, I think it makes a difference, uh, but I, I typically don't. I don't use the lines. I use the Vegas lines more for goalie goalie odds than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not. They're not really. I, I kind of generate my own totals for games and, and that's, that determines how many points my line should have. So I, I it, 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 my, most of my, most of my numbers fall in line fairly well with the Vegas numbers, but uh, I mean, occasionally I'll have one where it might be a, 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 a six total and I have it closer to seven. And mm-hmm. in that case, I'm probably going to like that game quite a bit. Right. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think, I think, I think the, the, the games where you have a six and a half and there's a decent favorite are going to obviously draw a draw high ownership. I mean, the Toronto guys were heavily owned tonight. And yeah. I think rightfully so. They didn't have a very good game other than Austin Matthews and the defenseman, the two defensemen. But I, I don't think that was a wrong process thing. It's just sometimes you don't get the results out of the guys. Yeah. Which is, I mean, if you went in, if I told you before this slate that uh, they scored five, You'd be like, okay, yeah, that sounds about right, and yeah, we yeah. should all be fine. That's exactly, it's probably right where I would have thought there would be. Right, four right. to five goals. Yeah. Oh man, that Matthew's fate is hurting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Just let it go. Let it go. Yeah. Tomorrow's a new day. I, I'm letting the money go. Is where what I'm letting. Um, yeah. So, so for the leagues, do you find them to be more um, kind of a hybrid of people build essentially putting cash lineups in, and those who are getting a little too aggressive for GPPs or, or I'm sorry, they're too aggressive for the leagues because they're using some basic GPP lineup or how do the leagues kind of fit in? Cause I'm, I'm pretty intrigued the, by these. 
I think the leagues are more like GPPs than they are cash games. Uh, the people are still they're they're playing them like a hundred person tournament. I mean, mm-hmm. they, it, you're and you're and you're trying to get in the top twelve. You're not trying to get in the top fifty. It's it's you you got to get up to the top. So you're looking for those high upside lineups. Um, I would I would say similar to the number I said before, seventy seventy five percent of them are going to have a big stack in them at least, and then. Oh, People out there, I mean, there's different guys out there that I see in every every day I see in one of those leagues. And some guys go nuts and mix it all up, and some guys do two big stacks. It's just, it's just uh, however they they like to do their lineups. But uh, and overall, it's it's more like a it's more like a GPP tournament than it is a a fifty fifty mm-hmm. type of thing. Okay, that makes sense. Um, that's all I have. Do you have anything? You think we missed anything? Um, not really. I, yeah, think, I, think, I think that's pretty much that's the basic stuff. I mean, there's a lot more to go into, but uh, <laughs> it's kind of a different different topic. I'll, sure, sure. I'll discuss in tomorrow's article. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of which, um, you can find Russ on uh, RotoWire twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, it's one of the most extensive uh, articles you'll find on RotoWire. I love it. It's a, a must read on those days. Uh, if you have any follow-up uh, for Russ, you can find him on Twitter. He's uh, at Russ1Prentice. And, uh, of course, he's also on RotoWire. You can just drop a comment uh, on all of his articles. Russ, uh, thank you for all of that, and uh, good luck this season. Thanks a lot, Andrew.